is Catherine Lee Scott, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Tonight on Movie of the Weekend, a world premiere. Well, it's about time, Charlie. You want me to hit that car head on? Dennis Weaver. Why? Why is he doing this? guest right now is Mark Dwidziak. Mark's books on film and television include The Night Stalker Companion and, of course, The Columbo File, and we're spending a few minutes talking about the life and career of Mark's friend, Richard Matheson. Uh, we've been talking uh, quite a bit about uh, Richard's uh, writings, uh, both for the screen and his and, and uh, novels and short stories. Richard wrote a lot about vampires but I understand they were not exactly your typical Bela Lugosi type of vampires. Uh, they were different. They were. I mean, because it's, when all said and done, the, the, the most important vampire story Richard wrote, one of the most important vampire stories anybody will ever write, is I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. And I Am Legend, the vampires, you know, at that point, a vampire was Bela Lugosi. He, you know, uh, he dressed suavely. He was the seducer. He was... Uh, uh, brilliant, um, but Richard's vampires acted more like zombies. They were plotting, relentless predators of the night. And in fact, a lot of people have said this, is that there have been three film versions of I Am Legend. The first was Vincent Price, The Last Man on Earth, the second The Omega Man with Charlton Heston, the third being the one that actually used the title with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. But probably the best version of I Am Legend is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. It captures the feel of that book perfectly, and Romero has been very open about saying that it was homage to I Am Legend. And if you um, think about that, that means that Richard Matheson has had a profound effect on not only the vampire story, but also the zombie story, because the direct path is I Am Legend to Night of the Living Dead to The Walking Dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is a direct pop culture line that pretty much comes from 1954, almost 60 years ago, and the publication of I Am Legend. We, we talked about how Richard's interpretation of the vampire was more like a zombie. Uh, it, it also stems to, um, it, it's the idea of he, he wrote what he knew. I mean, he didn't know the gothic image. Of, you know, he, he thought in terms of, I mean, it goes back to one of the, the themes of his um, of his writings. You know what what would happen if, and so what what would happen if all of a sudden you're at a convenience store and a zombie appears out of the aisle? I mean that that's the classic. You know, write what you know, and that was you know what made what one of the reasons why Richard's writing re- resonated with so many people. That and and the other part of I Am Legend that that and Richard had said you know uh, often that. He didn't know he was writing horror when he wrote I Am Legend. He thought he was writing science fiction. This is one of the times when, you know, because he said he wasn't a science fiction writer, that he actually thought he was writing science fiction. So there's irony for you because it goes down as one of the great horror novels of all time. And the reason he thought that was when he set out to write it, he thought what you said, what if? Okay, what if there were actually something called vampires? So he went to scientists. He went to biologists. He went to, he said, okay, if there was such a thing as a vampire, why wouldn't they cast a reflection? Why would they be repelled by government? Give me a scientific reason. Come up with a theory as to why 
they would have to avoid sunlight. Why would these things work? So he came up with rules. He applied scientific theory to the vampire, which nobody had much done before. So it was a, that's another thing that informs that book is the fierce amount of research that he did before he sat down to write it. And that research was all of the scientific uh, uh, type. And he, um, it, it resonates all throughout that book, too. It gives it that book a veracity that a lot of vampire stories don't. Because vampires, the problem with vampires is always the suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. They create an incredible burden on the suspension of disbelief. And if you look at Richard's stories, they get around it in ingenious ways. I am legend by using scientific data to back it up. It almost makes you think, oh, this could happen. And if you look at Night Stalker, Night Stalker plays almost like cinema verite. It almost feels like something is actually happening because it's being reported by a hard-nosed journalist who doesn't want to believe. And uh, he has forced to believe in it, finally, that there's a vampire loose in Las Vegas. So Richard was very... I mean, that, that's a lesson that comes right out of Stoker's book, out of mm-hmm. Dracula. Present it like something that's actually happening, and the audience will go along with you. The viewers will go along with you. So there's, a, uh, there's something that goes very, very deep uh, to the core in, in his writing that has a very realistic feel to it. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I'm just thinking aloud here, uh, Mark. You're, you're telling me, uh, you're, you're, you're talking earlier about, okay, there was a little bit of tension between Richard and Dan going in to uh, production of the original Night Stalker made-for-TV movie. Obviously, that was resolved, and they became longtime friends and collaborators. But, again, just thinking aloud here, uh, and given that Dan was a larger-than-life, you know, a somewhat bombast, I think bombast is a, is, is a word that, uh, uh, for, for people who knew Dan, uh, I think that's a fair word to describe him. But just, just thinking of, of the dynamics between Richard and Dan going into it and the characters of Kolchak and Vincenzo. I mean, even though, even though Kolchak was not, I mean, Kolchak was not a quiet person, but there's, there's a lot of yelling and bombast in, in, in the exchange between Kolchak and Vincenzo. Might there have been a little bit of projection? I don't think so. I, you know, and I basically because that is in Jeff's book. I mean, that really comes out of the newsroom, and it also comes out of the newspaper comedies of mm-hmm. the 1930s. You know, Clark Gable or Frederick March, whoever was playing the reporter, was endlessly arguing with his editor. You know, um, no, I, I actually think the collaboration between Richard and and Dan was, you know, far more professional than that. Once they got over that very, I mean, and it really was resolved right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time the first meeting was over. Uh, they were fine. Um, you know, and Bill Nolan talks about this. Uh, you know, he's that to work with Dan, you have to have the ability to move on. You know, to work with Dan, you had to know that one day Dan might curse you out, but the next day it's over. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he would be, as, as, as I think, I think Bill Nolan said this, is that he would be surprised that you were still stewing about it. <laughs> he would be surprised because everything was on. Everything yeah. was, let's go on. I'm on. You know, it's over. You yeah. know? So, I, I wouldn't go, and, and I think Richard and, and, and Bill both understood that. And they both treated Dan with a great sense of humor. They both had a good, terrific sense of humor dealing with it. And by the way, that's another part of Richard's legacy that does not get pushed enough. 
He was a very funny man, almost subversively funny. You know, even though he was quiet, he was sneaky. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the humor would come in underneath. And he wrote some very, very funny scripts. If you look at his script for the episode that finished the first season of The Twilight Zone, A World of His Own, mm-hmm. with Keenan Wynn, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's, what, it's a rarity. It's a, it's a Twilight Zone comedy that works. And every time The Twilight Zone tried comedy, it was an iffy thing. You know, it was not their strong suit. Which is ironic because uh, Rod Serling himself was a very funny man off right. camera. <laughs> exactly. But it said something about The Twilight Zone sensibility that it never quite translated very well for Rod. Um, but it did for, you know, you know Richard was a very, and if you also you look at some of the stuff that he did uh, for American International, particularly Comedy of Terrors, which is a very richly funny movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and nobody thinks of Richard Matheson as Richard Matheson comedy writer, but he had an excellent sense of humor, and it shows through in a lot of his work as well. So, I mean, I, I, he, he, as I say, he, he does not get a credit for nearly enough of, uh, uh, particularly, for, and sometimes, to go back to where we started, versatility, you know, a guy I always compared Richard to was the late Larry Gelbart. Larry Gelbart was in the room, the writer's room, uh, for Sid Caesar with Neil Simon and Mel Brooks and uh, later on Woody Allen. And of the four, Larry Gelbart is the one who's not really a household name. Mm-hmm. Among show business people, he's, 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 he's legendary. Yes. But, you know, and I think the reason is because Larry Gelbart had great movies, he had great Broadway credits, he had great television credits, great TV movie credits, great cable credits. When you put Larry Gelbart's credit all together, he's more impressive than the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, once interviewing Neil Simon, and... Neil Simon saying, you could make a very good argument that Larry Gelbart was the best of us. You know, I had the chance to tell that to Larry Gelbart. You know what he said? Who am I to argue with Neil Simon? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Richard Matheson, and they were both tall, by the way. They were both tall guys, and and, and, and something, I think, Richard Matheson, in a way, if you look at the writer's, that he was in what was called the group, mm-hmm. the California group, which was Ray Bradbury as the mentor, Charles Beaumont, Jack Finney, uh, Robert Block a little bit later on, Harlan Ellison at the tail end. Of all those guys, maybe Richard is the one who is least well-known as a household name, certainly compared to Bradbury. But when you put all the credits together, it's the Glary Gelbart argument. They're staggering. And forever, the Twilight Zone is going to be part of that legacy. You can now purchase T-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit 
the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.